Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. God is about to do something awesome in people's lives. And I don't mean today, I mean in general. You want to know how I know? Is because there are certain people that are under attack spiritually right now. I know every staff member has gone through a hard issue over the last month. And whenever that has happened in our church, it means that God is up to something big. And I have to say that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is on the move. The question is, are we going to move with him? That's the only question. God wants to move. God wants to change. God wants to show up. He is always present. The question is, are we going to allow him to do that in our lives? Amen? Amen. Here's what I want to do. I want us to come with expectancy this morning. I want us to truly expect that God's going to do something in our time together. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. I declare in my life, you're all I want. You are all I want. So come on down, fill this room. I ask you that you would allow this message to just speak to someone's heart. God, as much as I want everyone to walk away and say, like, wow, that was exactly for me. There is someone this morning that this is just going to shift the direction of where they're going. In Jesus' name, amen. It's funny as I had a bunch of different illustrations that kick off my sermon this, this morning, but I kept coming back to one of my favorite old-time movies. Any of you remember the movie City Slickers? Any remember the movie City Slickers? Okay, I'm really dating myself. I'm going to be 49 this week. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to be 49 years old. That sounds really young to me. But I love getting old. I, I, I hope my life is like a fine wine. I really, I really, and I can't even say that I really like wine, but I hope my, my, my life is a fine wine. But I'll never forget when I was in college, I was going to do a cattle drive. At the time, I was a college football player. I, I had about 70 pounds more on me. I was a big boy. I don't know what horse was going to carry me. Um, but I had this dream after watching the movie City Slickers to go on a cattle drive. That's what I wanted to do. And if you've ever seen the movie City Slickers, and if you haven't, this would be a great week to go watch it. It's about this guy who turns 40, not 49, 40. And he's at this midlife crisis. And he and his two friends, matter of fact, his wife sends him away with his two friends, right? Please get out of the house for two weeks. You're driving me crazy. To go figure out life. One was struggling in their marriage. One was struggling with their vocation. And one was just struggling with their daddy issues. Anyone ever, anyone ever have daddy issues? Well, this dude was struggling with daddy issues. So during the movie, there was this guy named Cowboy Curly. Cowboy Curly was kind of like the Marlboro man, right? And so in that, the main character and Cowboy Curly get stuck with one another for about a quarter of the movie. And in the midst of everything, this guy's wrestling with his life, and he's like, I got to figure out life's problems. And Cowboy Curly on his horse goes... It's all about one thing, and the music starts up, and the main character's like, what's that one thing? And he just goes, it's all about the one thing. And in that, the, the rest of the movie, this guy's wrestling with the, what that one thing is, what that one thing is, what that one thing is. There is a secret 
This secret that had to be found out, and at the end of the movie, they never found out what that one thing was, but they all pretended like they knew what it was, right? Ah, oh, one thing. And it was like, no, I'm more confused than ever after this movie. And think about it. Cowboy Curly was trying to tell this main character the secrets to life. Now think about secrets. When you think about secrets, they're really not for people to know. That's why it's called the secret, right? And really, that's when people are like, shh, I can't tell you. It's because people don't want you to know. It's only for the few, the proud, those that deserve it. And what we're going to look at as we're studying Colossians is that this is the same issue that was going on in Colossae. That there were a group of people that were running around saying, we have the secret, but it's not for everybody. It's only for some. It's not, it's not for all. And so in some ways, it was confusing people. It's kind of like the infomercials and all these different books, all these different help, self-help books that, that we think that they're going to change our lives, but it's almost like one secret leads to another secret leads to another, another secret, which only leads to more confusion. But here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to be Cowboy Rob, and I'm going to tell you the real secret to what Paul's pointing to. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24 through 25. This is what it says. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Now stop there because we're really teaching you the book of Colossians. Paul begins this next section by talking about the suffering that he has gone through for the sake of the gospel. Now, why is this so significant? Because Paul was one of those guys that was chasing people, throwing them in prison, persecuting them, even having some of them killed because of their belief in Christ. Remember Stephen, the stoning of Stephen? Paul was more than likely the one that, that sent them out to do it, but didn't put his hands on them, and was responsible for Stephen's death. But when Paul had this Jesus encounter, when he had this face-to-face -face encounter with Christ, he's like, wow, I was the one in the wrong. And so what Paul went out to do is he says, I will do everything and anything for every single person to hear the gospel of Christ, even at the cost of affliction. And so when Paul was spreading the gospel, and he was thrown in jail, and he was beaten, and he was shipwrecked, and people were just denying him that they ever knew him, and turning their back on him, he actually counted it as all joy. Because he had someone else who set an example for him, and his name was Stephen. And on top of that, Jesus gave his life that we all would be able to receive the goodness of God. Amen? And so Paul's thinking, like, if I'm being persecuted like Jesus, I'm in really good company. And so he celebrates. Don't worry about me being in prison. Matter of fact, if you are really running after Jesus, at some point you will probably be persecuted as well. Someone may not like that, what you have to say. Someone may not like what you believe. Someone may not like that when you literally just say, hey, do you really want to know what I really feel? They may not enjoy you. 
And Paul's saying, I'm setting you an example. Watch. Watch how sometimes persecution changes the course of other people's lives. I love that. I love that, that sometimes my hardships are leading others to Jesus. Do you ever think about that? And trials and hardships should not derail us, but rather trials and hardships should strengthen us. Thank you. And there's a truth to that. And Paul is saying, don't be derailed. Matter of fact, lock in. Let's continue. Verse 26 through 27. Now we're going to get to the secret. This message was kept secret. Was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So when we think about the word secret, we think about something that is not supposed to be known by all. Isn't that true? Right? You keep your secrets to your little group. And when you tell someone something really serious and you don't want anyone else to know, you don't want anyone else to know. Otherwise, why? What happens? They break trust. But that's not what Paul was saying. The word Paul was using, he was using the word mystery for secret. And so really a better translation is the word mystery. And when he talks about mystery, something to be revealed at the proper timing. Something to be revealed at the proper timing. So last week was Sue's birthday. And my wife has had just a, a tough year at work. Anyone have a tough year at work? She's a school nurse. Do you know on Tuesday she made 50 phone calls? 50 phone calls. 5-0. I got home from a conference at 11 p.m. and she just hung up with her last phone call. She's a school nurse. I'm like, dude, go to the hospital. You'll make a whole lot more money there. Seriously, I want a Triumph motorcycle. Go work at the hospital. But she's like, it's my calling. That's right. And I know that's where she's supposed to be. But, but it's it, it, her birthday, so her birthday was last Saturday. And I said, you know what? This birthday is going to be like Christmas. And I want crazy. I want more crazy than I have in years. And every single gift was a mystery. It was supposed to be opened at the proper time. And so the first gift I gave her was going to the nail salon because she loves it. I don't get it, but she loves it. <laughs> And so she got up, and she went to the nail salon. And then she came home, and then, we, then I made her breakfast. And I had these little things that I did throughout, for her throughout the day, and then it was like, ta-da, here are your gifts. <laughs> they were for her at the proper time to be used for something really, really special. It's kind of like Christmas, when your kids say, okay, it's November 29th. Can't we open up a Christmas gift? No! It doesn't work like that. So what Paul is saying is there's a mystery that was going to unfold at the proper time. And that mystery was this, that the gospel was for everybody, both Jew and Gentile. I love what Jesus says to, to Nicodemus because everything Paul talks about reverts back to the gospel. 
It's not the gospel supporting Paul, but it's Paul's words inspired by the gospel. And I think oftentimes we get more wrapped up in Paul than we do in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, then you're not studying the gospels. And so this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is for all of humanity. The question is, is humanity open to hear the good news that the gospel, the relationship between God and humanity is for them? I can't determine what people say, yay or nay, but what I do know is that we have a God that loves all people. The question is, will all people respond? Now think about this idea of mystery, secret, being kept from some people. Not, it's not allowed for all people. Watch what Jesus says in, in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 13, 12. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an inheritance of knowledge. You want to go deeper with Jesus? You want to know more of the Holy Spirit? You want to understand your creator God? Simply this, open your ears, open your eyes, open your heart. Jesus is saying, if you are open, Jesus will reveal the truths, the mysteries, the mysteries. That's one side of the coin. That the good news is for all. Turn to the person on your right. We're doing this. Turn to the person on your right. Jesus is for you. Turn to the person on your left. Jesus is for you. Okay? Jesus is for you. He's for you. The question is, will you just grab him? Do this with me. Come on. Let's have a little fun this morning. Because usually it's a 1030 service. That's more fun. Grab him. Grab him. Jesus, I grab you. I don't know if that's spiritual or not, but anyways. But that's one side of the coin. Let's talk about the other side of the coin. Look at verse 27. And this is the secret. You really want to know the depths of God's love? You really want to know the fullness of the gospel? One side of the secret is that the gospel's for everybody. The other side is this. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. You want to know the real, 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 real secret? It's that Christ lives in you. You remember that poem that people love, The Footprints on the Sand? When there's like two, and then there's a problem, and it turns to one? Like, like that's a good idea, but that's not biblical truth. If you are in Christ, Jesus, there should only be one set of footprints. And that's you walking as the Spirit of God lives in in you. Look what Jesus says. It always comes back to Jesus. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Being born again does not mean we turn into a bunch of freaks. Do you realize that? It does not. Shame on the Christian culture for demonizing what being born again means. Oh, he did not go there. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. We have made it almost like this secret club. No, it's a place of humility that when I realize that I am spiritually dead, the Spirit of God makes me become spiritually alive. 
That's all it means to be born again. It doesn't mean that we're politically this way or politically that way. It means that the Spirit of God lives and breathes and dwells in me. And plant family, I am born again. Not in a weird kind of freaky American way. I am born again as Jesus talks about. Look what he says. Jesus says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when we think about this idea of like Jesus dying on the cross, we think about a business transaction because that's our Western mindset. Everything's a transaction. You get married, you sign a paper. You're stuck together, right? You, you do all these different transactions. And, we, and we've really created ways to get out of every transaction possible. But when Jesus died, it wasn't a business transaction. It was a relational connection. It was a relational inauguration into the presence of God. And what Jesus did is he imparted himself into us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. I read a quote a couple weeks ago, and I added to it, so I I just want to read it to you. The Christian life is not merely about information. Understanding what Christ did for me. Okay, It's helpful to know, but that's not what it's about. The Christian life is a matter of impartation. Christ imparting his life in us. It is the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Think about this illustration. I did this about two and a half years ago. Chocolate milk, right? One of the most fun Sundays I'll I'll remember the rest of my life. Chocolate milk. How do you make chocolate milk? You don't take a Hershey bar and a glass of milk and you take a bite and you chew on it and then swig the milk down and swish it around your mouth. That's not how you make chocolate milk. You don't wait till they both go down to the stomach and then turn into chocolate milk in your belly. No. You take two separate elements and you put them together, and you stir them around, and it makes something completely new. The the chocolate is imparted into the milk, and it changes the milk from regular milk to chocolate milk. Chocolate milk does not come from a chocolate cow. It comes from a regular dairy cow that you put Hershey's chocolate in, two different elements making something new. And when the Spirit of God is imparted into us, we are made into new creations. And Paul is saying the mystery of the gospel is that it's Christ that lives in you. Come here, up here. Christ in Steve. You're the third person I got to do this with, by the way. But I don't want any chocolate milk for you. Christ in Steve. Steve... Because he is identified as a follower of Jesus, is now, Steve, the Spirit of God lives in you, and you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Because the Spirit of God lives in you, you now are given fruit of the Spirit of of God, characteristics of God. You now have the ability to unlock love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You right here, you don't search for it out there. You say, Holy Spirit, unlock these characteristics in me because they already are there. 
I don't mean to breathe on you. I don't have COVID, I promise. I trust you. Thank you. My wife's a nurse. The third thing what happens is God, because Christ is in Steve, implants spiritual gifts. Things in that, that Steve could not do before Jesus. Now God has given you new gifts to do in Jesus. Because the secret is this. It's not Christ and you. It's not Christ with you. It's Christ in you. And when you get that, babe, you are going to rock it. You're going to kill it. You may be seated. <laughs> Cry, baby. <laughs> but how, how true that is, is that we miss that. We miss it. Well, I want everyone else to change. Well, sorry, that's not how it works. It's Christ in you. Christ, my sanctifier. His spirit lives in me, and he's changing me, and he's moving me. Let's continue. Verse 28 through 29. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Perfect to their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Look at that. Perfect. Now, when we think about the word perfect, we feel like that's unrealistic, impossible. Do I get an amen for that? But this is where we've gotten our language wrong, right? This is why I sit in my, my office and study so much. Because we mess up the word. The English word and the Aramaic word are completely, the Greek word is totally two different things. The English translated into the Greek or the Greek translated into the English, sometimes we miss the real meaning. This is what Paul's meaning. He's talking about, and you will mature in Christ. Mature. What does it mean to be mature? Fulfilling and accomplishing its purpose. Fulfilling and accomplishing its purpose. And what's its purpose? It's the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives. He wants to bring something to completion. That's what maturity is. I want all my kids to grow up and be mature. Do I get an amen, parents? And all of our parents wanted us to grow up and be mature, and they're all probably saying, amen, Pastor Rob. Right? They want to see us grow up and accomplish all that we were created to do. We all want to become the men and the women that we were born to be. We want to be the men and the women that, that we were supposed to be collectively at work, at home, in the community, in the neighborhood, and just as important, if not more, as the church. If we're growing in Christ in us, moving with Christ in us, and we're all moving in the same direction together, you want to see revival come? Boom, that's where it is. When we lay all our stupidity aside, when we lay all of our immaturity aside, when we lay all those things that trip us up so easily and we put them down and say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to let you mature me in the process that you have called me to walk through, I will do it. We will never be perfect in the world's eyes or standards. 
You will never be perfect in the world's eyes or standards. We won't be perfect in others' eyes or standards. This would be a good one to turn to your spouse and say this, but we won't go there. (laughs) But in God's eyes and his standards, because we are in Christ, we are complete. But in God's eyes and his standards, because we are in Christ, we are complete. And because we can say that we are in a maturing process, and when we embrace that and we live in the hope of both today and the future, we allow God's Spirit to do more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine in our lives. How awesome is this book? This book is just pointing back to everything that Jesus talks about. So how do we experience maturity in Christ? First and foremost, this is what we do. We embrace that Christ is in me. That's it. It begins there. Christ is not with you. Christ, it's not you and Christ. It's Christ in me. The assurance of the glory that I get to share. Hey, Rob, why, what's going on in your life? Hey, Steve, what's going on in your life? Hey, Dan, what's going on in your life? Hey, Eddie, what's going on in your life? You want to know, know the assurance? Let me talk about what Jesus is doing in my life. Two, we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Say yes to the things God wants us to do. Say yes to the things that that he wants us to give up. Say yes to the places he wants us to go. And say no to the things that pull us away from the work of Christ in our life. What are those things that distract you? What are those things that distract you? What are those things that trip you up? What are those things that that keep you paralyzed? Learn to say no. But just as important it is to say no, learn to say yes. Hey, holy nudge, go to your neighbor's house. Go to your neighbor's house. Hey, holy nudge, reach out to someone. Reach out to someone. Holy nudge, step out in faith. Step out in faith. Watch what Christ does as you allow Christ to live in you. Allow scripture through the Holy Spirit to encourage, challenge, correct, and convict. It says all scripture is inspired, God's breath. My biggest prayer, one of my biggest prayers is that when I get to teach the word, you get to see a freshness of the word of God. A freshness of the word of God. It's fresh because the word is fresh. The word is alive. If you open up the Bible in a negative way, you're going to see a negative thing. If you open up the Bible and says, give give me spiritual life, you will find that it will give you spiritual life. And there are some things that God wants to add to your life, and there's some things that God is saying, get rid of that. When God says get rid of that, there's a reason. And when he says implement this, just implement it. But let Christ do it in you. I love what Paul states in Philippians 3, 12 through 13. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, maturity. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You want to be possessed by something? This sounds really weird. Be possessed by Jesus. Isn't that, what, isn't that what the Pharisees said to Jesus? 
He's possessed by a demon. That's why he's doing so many good things. I thought demons do bad things. That doesn't make sense. He's a really bad guy. He's changing people's lives for the better. He's got the devil in him. No, he had the spirit of God in him. Jesus allowed the spirit of God to possess him. And we get to allow the spirit of Christ to possess us. I hope people don't look in my eyes or look in your eyes and see crazy. I hope they see love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and above all else, self-control. Come on, church. Get a little self-control. Thank you. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting stupid old Rob Parker the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Want to know the secret? It's two parts. One, gospel's for everybody. If you've made it only about you, then you don't know the secret. But you want to know the best part of the secret? It's not you trying to figure this out. It's the Spirit of God wanting to live in you and dwell in you, empower you, and transform you. And that secret is a mystery that's been revealed at God's perfect timing so that now we can each and every one of us have it. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.